Hey everyone, it's a joy to be speaking to you today. We're in the second week of the Vision Sunday series, and last week in part one, Miles shared to us about the vision God has given to us as a church, to be a blessing, to play our part in the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the churches, and the transformation of society. And the call to action last week for our church was to pray and to serve. And what an amazing response there was. Thank you so much for joining in on this vision that God has given to us as a church. Today, in part two, our call to action is to give, to contribute to this vision and to join in God's plans for provision. But this is not a fundraising pitch. In fact, we're not taking up an offering after this talk because we want you to know that any teaching about giving is not about what we want from you, but what we want for you. You know, I, I heard of the story of little Johnny who came up to a pastor after one sermon one Sunday. And he said to the pastor, Pastor, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Wow, thank you, the pastor replied. But why? Because my daddy says, you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. As I said, we're not taking up an offering after this talk. Because this is an invitation to grow in your Christian walk as a disciple and worshiper of God. Why? Because when it comes to giving, God is more interested in the posture of your heart than in the price of your gift. And as we will see in the story of Abraham, a life of blessing is marked by total surrender and radical generosity. Today, we're continuing with the story of Abraham who received in Genesis 12, a call and a vision. He receives a call to go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then he receives a vision of blessing from God. And he says in Genesis 12 verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing calling over us and over our church. And we pray that you will help us to live in total surrender and in radical generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if there was a list of the most blessed people to ever walk the earth, Abraham would be near the top. He's arguably the most revered figure across religious people in the world today. Believers of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam recognize him as a father figure, a model of faith. That's 56% of the world today. And Abraham's life comes at an interesting junction of the book of Genesis. You know, the Bible begins first with a macroscopic lens. As God creates the universe and all of life, humankind, he blesses humankind as his image bearers. But as things would unfold, humanity disobeys God and turns away from him as sin and brokenness enter the world. And we lose that original state of blessedness that God had intended for mankind from the beginning. Then from chapters 12 onwards, the lens of scripture takes a more microscopic lens into one man. And we soon discover that it's from this one man and his family that God's rescue plan for creation, his plans for provision for his vision would be accomplished. Where once God's blessing was marred by the sins of humanity, now his blessing would flow through Abraham and his descendants. And one day, one of them would ultimately restore the world and reconcile humanity back to God to restore blessing again. In Genesis 12 verse 3, God promised Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But there is an irony to Abraham's story. His life would be marked by radical surrender, radical generosity, but not always. In fact, 
The biggest blunders he ever made were directly related with the biggest blessings God was going to give him. Abraham was born with the name Abram, which means exalted father. And yet at 75 years old, he had no children. And when Abraham was 99 years old, God renamed him Abraham, which means father of many nations, but still no son. I wonder if you relate. You know, you may believe that God is good and you may be holding on to plans and hopes or dreams for the future. Maybe it's a hope for a loved one to be better. Maybe it's a career goal. Perhaps it's to find a life partner or to have a child finally, or to have a long broken friendship restored. But between the vision revealed and the provision supplied, waiting can be really difficult. Well, Abraham was widely known for God's vision for him. He had a complex relationship with relying on God's provision for him. And you know, this reminds me of another story of little Johnny. So one day, little Johnny was praying to God. And while he was praying, he asked God, God, how long is 10 million years to you? God replied, one second. The next day, little Johnny asked God, God, how much is $10 million to you? God replied, one penny. Then finally, the next day, little John asked God again, God, can I have one of your pennies? And God replied, just wait a second. I'm sorry if you're called Johnny, by the way. The true test for a great vision is how reliant we are on God's provision. And this is why in the middle of Abraham's waiting, the Lord reminds him again that he doesn't need to worry about the provision for his vision. In Genesis 15 verse one, we read, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And it says this, God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And today, you can know that in the area of God's provision for you, He is your shield and your supply. Do not be afraid. This is God's word for you and for us as a church, as we step into a new season of His vision for us. Number one, do not be afraid. I wonder, what are you most worried about? You know, one easy way to find out is to look at how easily you would spend your money on something. You see, money reveals both our worries and our worship. It reveals our worries because of, of what we are most afraid of lacking, money gives us a false sense of protection against that. Jesus knew this human instinct very well. And he said that this protection is only at best temporary. He said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And money reveals our idols because money is a power that can buy opportunities, experiences, open doors. It can employ staff. It can scale up operations. It can ensure against tragedy. But in Matthew 6 verse 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, money is powerful and the lack of it can result in huge worry and the abundance of it can result in false confidence. And if I'm honest, I've never been more concerned about money than in the last three years. Maybe you have too. Maybe you are now. But Jesus spoke against both worry and pride. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. He said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And at the heart of the matter, what he's really saying is who do we really think is our shield? Who will protect us? Money or God? We can't serve two masters. 
And this is why when God wants to use us as a channel of blessing for His vision, He first teaches us to be surrendered and generous about our provision. You can't bless others if you're not at first surrendered and proximate. When I was younger, I used to go to a morning market with my mother on Saturdays to help her get the week's supply of fresh food. And my mother would, you know, every week, she would do this really strange thing with me. She would give me some money and then say to me, this is money for you, go and give it to that person who needs it. Looking at a homeless person at the side of the road. And I would often wonder to myself, like, why can't she do this on her own? And what if I use the money to buy something for myself? After all, it is my money now. And then I realized the power of money very quickly because my mother had effectively put money into my hand but could move my legs. Thankfully, there was nothing interesting for a nine-year-old boy to buy in the market unless you count brinjols and cabbages exciting. So I would walk to the man and put money in his cup and then move away every week. And this would happen week in and week out. And as the weeks passed, because I needed to come near to put the money in, I saw a different detail about the man each time. He started to change in my eyes from a homeless man I wanted to avoid to a human person with a story I was interested about. And I believe today that God wants to overcome our worries and pride about money by giving us a new confidence in His protection and His provision. And He says to us, as He said to Abraham, I am your shield and your great reward. Number two, I am your shield. What is a shield? You know, archaeology tells us that shields were not always used for warfare. They were actually at first used for hunting and hiding by hunters and herdsmen. But one day, as violence and sin would overtake humanity, the very tool for feeding became the tool for fighting. And shields became these weapons of war. They also became painted objects, icons, that represented what your army was. So it's not an accident that the first time shield is mentioned in the Bible, it's also the first time a major world war is recorded in the Bible. In Genesis 14, we enter a defining moment of Abraham's life. And it's this defining moment before God's vision for Abraham is fulfilled with the blessing of a son. And here we're brought into the scenes of the first world war recorded in the Bible. It's a large international war between four kingdoms on the east against five kingdoms on the west. And for 12 years, five Western kings had paid tribute to the four Eastern kings. And then they decided those days were done. It was time to rebel. And one of the kings of the West was this king called Burah, the king of Sodom. And this is significant because Lord Abraham's nephew is now a resident of Sodom. And in the middle of the war, these kingdoms from the West are defeated. And then we're told in Genesis 14 verse 11, we're told that the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their food, and then they went away. And they also carried away Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his possessions. And since he was living in Sodom. And Abraham hears about this and gathers 318 men, initiating a rescue plan for his nephew, Lot. And here, we see an interesting character development in Abraham's life. From a self-protecting man, he's now protecting another man. A side note, there is a really interesting backstory in Genesis 12 involving an embarrassing moment in Abraham's life when it comes to protecting himself. He actually comes up with a human plan that puts God's plan of provision at risk. And he tells Sarah, the very woman from whom the many nations promised by God would be born, to pretend she's his sister, effectively almost trafficking his wife away to Pharaoh. God intervenes and Abraham's blessing through his marriage with Sarah is protected. 
And actually, this is one of the reasons why I believe in the authenticity of the Bible, because it doesn't spare heroes like Abraham any blushes or sugarcoats an important figure by redacting shameful parts. So here is Abraham in the scene of war, where before he gave up what was dear, Sarah, to save himself in Egypt. Now he's giving himself up to save what is dear to him, Lot. Abraham is successful and he rescues Lot and he recovers the goods. And here, as Abraham rescues another person, we learn something about God-given visions for us. Before Abraham is blessed, he is at first kind. Sometimes, before God releases blessing in our lives, He allows us to grow first in our ability to share that blessing. As a father of a toddler, you know, parenting has made me realize truths about God in new ways. I recently took my son Levi to McDonald's and I brought him I bought him a Happy Meal box. Absolutely made his day. I saw him open the Happy Meal for the first time. He found the toy inside and then he took out the French fries. And you know, it was in that moment that I realized McDonald's is basically another kind of religion. You may be driving outside on a gloomy day, but the golden arches will always be there. Ronald McDonald welcomes you with open arms and no matter how you're feeling, all are welcome to upsize. So on this day, uh, me and my son, we sat down together. He happily ate away at his French fries. And I reached over to take one fry from him. And then he snapped at me. He said, no, this is mine. And no matter how I tried to reason with him, he wouldn't give me any fries. And then I thought, my son doesn't understand something. He doesn't know that I could take all those fries away in one moment. Or if I felt it best for him, I could add that bag of fries so abundantly that he'd be overwhelmed by them. He thinks they are his. How did he forget who bought them for him and who brought them to him? And just then, my son took the smallest fry. He gave it to me saying, Daddy, this is for you. This is all mine. And you know, I think we are so often like that with our Heavenly Father. We can guard our things against the very person who guards our soul. But I believe God wants to release a new level of surrender and generosity in our church as we step into a new season of His provision. Did you know that the early Christians were known for their radical generosity? It was said of the early Christians as they stood in stark contrast to other Roman citizens of their time that they were promiscuous with their money and guarded with their bits. While other Romans were guarded with their money and promiscuous with their bits. We're told in the book of Acts that Christians sold their property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Early Christian art depicted Christians in worship, often with their hands outstretched like this, a sign of surrender, of an open-handed life, a resemblance of the cross. You see, God wants to bless us, but more than the gift, He is interested in making givers of us because that's who He is. And I love how generous HDBB members are. You know, our heart for HDBB is that we will always be radically generous. I think about our offering to the Syrian victims on one Sunday. I think about how over time we've donated more than 1.2 million ringgit to food bank and refugee families, how we support over 45 churches by training local leaders and pastors, how together we have equipped and served 9,000 churches and organizations in the Asia-Pacific region through Alpha last year. You know, we don't exist as a local church for ourselves. We're here to help others thrive and win. Our calling is not one of ladder climbing, 
but of bridge building. Why? Because God never blesses us to make us bloated. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. He is our shield and our very great reward. Number three, our very great reward. In Genesis 14, verse 17 to 20, we read about what happens after the war that Abraham rescues Lot from. In verse 17, after Abraham returns from defeating Kedolama and the kings alight with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tent of everything. Now, just to backtrack a little bit, at this point in the passage, Abraham had just won the victory in the war. He had just gone through the episode where firstly, he gave Sarah to protect himself. And then secondly, he gave himself to protect Lot. And it, it's at this point that two kings meet Abraham after his victory to offer him something. It's an important juncture because each of them represents two different worlds that Abraham needs to make a decision about. Who will he choose? There's the king of Sodom, and then there's the king of Salem. We're told in verse 18 that the king of Salem is a man called Melchizedek. He's also the priest of God Most High, and he comes to prepare a table before Abraham. It's a meal of bread and wine, which in Bible history is often connected with covenant meals. Then Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And Abraham does something unusual for someone he had just met. He gives him a tent of not just his income, but his assets. And it's worth saying that this is the first mention of a tithe in the Bible. What's a tithe? It's an ancient practice of giving 10% of a person's increase in order to support and honor another person. This practice was done across the pagan world to maintain holy shrines and support the priests. But here, as Abraham encounters the priest of God, his immediate reaction is to give Melchizedek a tithe. Not because he was giving to a man, but because by giving to the man who came in the name of the Lord, he was giving to the Lord Most High. And if you are new here to HTBB, please know that every week when we take up an offering, when we take a moment to give, both on-site and online, we do this willingly and anonymously. Jacinta and I personally tithe our income every month. We try to give beyond that amount whenever we can. And over the years, we have found it to be one of the most important spiritual disciplines to keep. It's unseen. No one knows how much it is, but it's an act of faith that says, my income is not my shield or reward, but a provision that comes from the Lord. So in verse 21, we read about the other king. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have swore an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. You see, the king of Sodom asked Abram to offer people to him, and then he offered him something in return. He represented worldly gain and human schemes for success and wealth. And Abraham, knowing this, made a decision in his heart not to take anything from him because what he offered would not last. But on the other hand, the king of Salem prepared a table before Abraham. He offered bread and wine and blessed him. And if this sounds familiar, 
It's because the king of Salem, Melchizedek, represented the coming Christ, our king and priest, who prepares a table before us before our enemies, who offers bread and wine, the sacrifice at the cross, to bring a new covenant to us, to make us friends with God again, and to restore blessing to the world. And as we read this story, the question I have for us is, who are you going to choose for your protection and provision? Would you choose the king of Sodom who offers worldly gain? Or would we choose what the king of Salem offers to sit at the table of God's blessing? Because you see, what the kings of Sodom and Salem signal to us is to look beyond the gift to the giver, the giver of life, the giver of our families, workplaces, and loved ones, the giver from whom all blessings flow. And as Genesis 15 verse 1 reminds us, the giver is our greatest reward. Because while the kings of Salem and Sodom point to us choices we have before us, Abraham's obedience points to the God who gave his life for us. After these two amazing episodes in Abraham's life, we reach the climax of his story, where he and Sarah are finally granted the blessing that they have been promised, that they've been waiting for for years, a son, Isaac, from whom the blessing of the nations would come. And despite all those years of waiting to be given a son, Abraham would then be asked, to give him away. He had given Sarah away once before. He had even given himself away for the sake of Lot, but to give away his most precious son, Isaac, and yet he obeyed. And as he gave willingly, obediently, and sacrificially, God intervened and supplied the provision. You see, more than the price of your gift, God is interested in the posture of your heart. Giving is not what God wants from you, but what he wants for you. And because Abraham giving his son would only point to the God who would later give up his son to die on the cross so that in him we can have full abundant lives. And if he gave up everything for us, would he not give us everything else? Let's pray. So you may want to raise your hands wherever you are right now as we pray that simple ancient prayer and wait on the Lord. Come Holy Spirit. We wait for you. And with hands open right now, Lord, we make this our prayer that we would live lives of total surrender and radical generosity. Lord, help us to live with open-handedness to live reliant on you and willing to share what you've given to us. And just sense um, that God wants to minister to some people here who are in between jobs in this season. And um, you have some legitimate financial worries. You, you are worried about your providence and maybe you're in a position where you have to provide for other people as well. And God's challenging you to live by faith in this season. Faith also is paired with works. And so you're doing some practical things, but God wants to, He wants to give you a moment of encounter in this season of waiting, and then to use this season of waiting as a period of blessing for other people as well. Some amazing lessons are learned in periods like this. So I want to pray for you. I also sense that for some people, God's challenging us to rise to another level of giving. And um, you are, generous, you have been growing in giving, but God wants you to grow to 
a radical level of generosity. And that's because it's not just about the price of your gift, but the posture of your heart. And he's going to be uh, giving you um, areas to look into uh, to, to financially bless and, bless and support um, so that you can experience even greater joy of seeing his kingdom come through those ministries um, that you're going to be blessing. So Lord, we just ask for your blessing for um, help us, Lord, to grow to be more like you in this area of giving. And Lord, as we do so, Lord, provide for us. We trust in you as our shield and our very great reward. In Jesus' name, amen.